You tell me how that did not stop a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity. So, I mean, look, I wasn't rooting for it to be a red card. I don't like that rule. I don't like how it is called. I have a bunch of friends, my brother, Liverpool fans, that, you know, I was hoping for them because I know a few Everton fans, and I'll be quite honest, I can't stand them. These Everton fans that I know, turds. On today's footy corner, West Ham are blowing bubbles all the way to the top four. Everton party like it's 1999 as they hadn't won in Anfield in 22 years. Holding is outjumped by Sterling, Mourinho thinks he's still the best manager, and Dean Smith has banned fantasy football. Along with the typical comments, predictions, announce of the week, and gambling corner. Next. And we are back on the footy corner, and by we, I mean me, we go again today. It's a solo episode, but we do have a guest for you this week, uh, so we'll get to that in a little bit. We have an interview with a, uh, a fan of a club that's doing rather well right now, so that's that's exciting stuff. Uh, I hope everything is going well for you as the listeners, everything going okay here. We're, I'm now to the point, as luckily as an educator, I was able to move up kind of in the... Uh, in the vaccination line, so I'm fully there. But that said, again, taking all precaution, as everyone should, uh, and hopefully everyone else gets their shots. We're getting great news on that. As things go by, it's turning into the spring. The NCAA tournament is about to start for those that are interested in that. NFL fans, you got free agency. Basketball and hockey are in full gear, so uh, sports are, are back, are going well. Uh, so I hope everyone is doing, doing all right. And uh, on the soccer end of things, we have Champions League again. Uh, we have Europa League, which occurred today, and my beloved Arsenal pulled off an incredible, incredible comeback, which both won me, uh, which which both won on the pitch, obviously, and and money for me off the pitch. So I was really happy about that. We're heading towards the weekend, so that's always a beautiful thing, and we have some great matches coming up this week. Looking forward to those. Uh, but before we get to those, we will preview last week's matches. Uh, we got another cluster coming up. I, you know, I talked earlier a few weeks ago about how we have a bunch of matches, uh, you know, that were happening during the week, and then I was like, oh, we have a nice little cycle of just weekend games. Well, that ends uh, after this weekend. As next week is full of matches, as well as the Premier League schedule looks to catch up with the Euros approaching. Now, that said, before we get into the Premier League action, I do want to let you know. I am hearing rumors that the Euros may be just held in one country, which is the sensible decision to make, obviously. With, you know, what's going on right now, it would be foolish to hold it in, what, 12 countries or however many they're going to hold it. Hold it in one. I'm hearing England is a front runner there. Uh, So we'll see what happens with the Euros, and it's going to be an exciting summer. And obviously, here at the footy corner, we don't stop bringing you the action. With that said, I guess let's jump right into what occurred you know, this last weekend that, that will lead into kind of this week's headlines. I think the match of the week or, or a big one that people were, were looking into was the Merseyside Derby. Now, uh, Everton it has had a lot of trouble in it. It's been one-sided the past many, many years. Uh, with that said, though, Liverpool was coming into this slumping. Everton looking better. They did have the footy corner curse occur to them. With that said, though, they were coming in looking decent it looked like they had a good shot there are no fans at Anfield 
And they came in and they set the tone early. Uh, Richarlison scoring in the third minute, kind of right off the bat. Uh, and then Sigurdsson adding a penalty later that we'll talk about. So Everton getting the 2-0 victory. Uh, coming into the match, Everton had not had a clean sheet in eight. They get one here to make it one in nine. You know, there are a few things I want to note before we get into really the logistics or what occurred in the matchup. I thought uh, Carlo Ancelotti's decisions were very interesting in how he set his team up. If you look at it, uh, just look at their midfield and see if you find anything kind of weird or that stands out. And immediately you'd see that Luca Digne uh, in some apps shows him as the you know fifth person in the back five, but he really was pushed up on the left wing. And you also noticed that uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and even Alan, who's back, were on the bench. And that actually caught Jurgen Klopp by surprise in his kind of pre-match interview. Uh, he didn't know that. <laughs> when he, he, he was told it, he kind of laughed. And unfortunately, it, it, it didn't turn out great for him. But again, I thought that made quite a big difference. I thought Luca Digne did really good marauding up the left side, caused some issues for Liverpool and the chances that Everton created. Now... You know, early goal, we talked about Richarlison scoring. I kind of feel bad for Ozan Kabak at this point. He he was the one that lost Richarlison on the run. He's having a rough go. You know, again, you have to think about that this guy came over from Schalke. You could, you could ask if it was the sensible buy, but this is a team, Liverpool, that was desperate for center backs in January with the injuries, and still are. We'll talk about another one that occurred in this match. And they had to get a guy, and he was available, and... You know, he's 20. That's another thing to look at. This guy's 20 years old. We know young center backs have trouble, much less speaking a young center back who has not played in the Premier League gets put into it. So he really fell asleep and again looked pretty bad in this match. But I think the key moment was the non-contact injury to Jordan Henderson in the 25th minute. He suffered what looked like a hamstring injury. I mean, all you had to do was see Jurgen Klopp's face when Henderson went down, and that told you everything. You know, I mean, I sat back and I think last podcast I said, why is he in the in the center defense? Well, because Fabinho hadn't been back yet. So there were really you no know, options. Even Davies, the guy they bought, was injured. So really out of options, Nat Phillips comes on. I mean, you see Phil, uh, Nat Phillips and Ozan Kabak are on with a combined age of 43 years old. And you know, and they're on for the last hour, and you know that that doesn't bode well if your central defense is that young. I mean, simply put, that's that's troublesome. That said, I thought Liverpool still created some chances. Uh, Mo Salah had a big chance in the 69th, nice, minute, uh, which was stopped by uh, Jordan Pickford, who I think had a pretty good game. I think Pickford uh, swiped aside another chance at one point early. I believe it may have been by Trent Alexander-Arnold. You know, all things said... Liverpool played an all right game, but unfortunately, again, for them, it wasn't good enough. They suffer another injury in what appears to be the, the central defense. Now, there is good news. I think Virgil van Dijk was, was training, but, I mean, he's still far away off. Fabinho's coming back, and instead of being able to push him up to midfield, he's going to have to play on the back line. So it's a lot of trouble for this Liverpool team. Now, the big moment in this match, I think, also, aside from the Henderson injury, was the uh, penalty given... Uh, on Trent Alexander-Arnold sliding in. I don't think he even touched the ball. And then it looked like Calvert-Lewin kind of just ran over his head and fell over. And Craig Cavanaugh had a big decision as the referee in this match, and he called that a penalty. And, and you know, on one end of it, one end of the spectrum, a lot of Liverpool fans are, like, you know, saying that was not a penalty. 
I'll say this. By the definition of what I've seen this season from these referees in the Premier League, that is a penalty. Is it a soft penalty? Is it one I'd like to see corrected? Is it one I'd like to stop seeing a bunch of players run into other players? Yes. But it's a penalty. And the bottom line is when you slide down into the turf and you throw yourself on the ground, you are putting yourself at risk because you no longer have control of your legs. You put yourself at risk when you leave your feet in the box of committing a penalty. And not only do I agree that it was a penalty, I'm going to go one step further. That should have been a red card. You tell me how that did not stop a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity. So, I mean, look, I wasn't rooting for it to be a red card. I don't like that rule. I don't like how it is called. I have a bunch of friends, my brother, Liverpool fans, that, you know, I was hoping for them because I know a few Everton fans, and I'll be quite honest, I can't stand them. These Everton fans that I know, turds. But, you know, and I know some people have encountered Liverpool fans that are like that, but my point being, you know, you go by the rules, how is that not a clear goal-scoring opportunity? And then one would say, well, he wasn't trying to tackle the guy. Well, I'd argue the same thing about David Luiz two, three weeks ago. I'd argue the same thing about Jan Bednarik two, three weeks ago. So, by the rules of the game, he should have been out. Now, it's a good thing he isn't because he's not suspended for any any matches. And, again, it wasn't something that impacted anyone. It wasn't something that was going to injure Dominic Calvert-Lewin for six months, uh, which, you know, on the other end of things, Liverpool fans don't like Everton fans for what happened, for what Richarlison did earlier in the season, for what Jordan Pickford did earlier in the season. So, that that said, again, that's my take. I know it's a hot take. Red card, penalty. So, so, but... I am glad that they did not call the red card. Uh, again, because I feel like that ruins matches. So by the rule, it should be. That's something I think they should look over again to fix. Um, so the way Craig Kavanaugh handled that, I, honestly, was it correct in all facets by the rules of the game? No. But did I like how he handled it? Yeah. He gave the pen, but he didn't penalize Liverpool because it was clear that, that Alexander Arnold was not doing it on purpose. And he didn't send him off. Again, I think it was wrong, but I like what happened, if that makes any sense. Let us know what you think at the footy corner, two on that one. Uh, now, I would say, you know, again, looking at the overall big picture side of things, it's a huge win for Everton. Because for them, it was the proverbial getting over the hump at Anfield. They hadn't won at Anfield since 1999. They did that. Liverpool's first four-game losing streak at home since 1923. That has occurred now as well. Again, you throw the asterisks of no fans, and we're seeing a lot of records broken this season. And a lot of those records are, this hasn't happened since X season. So, you know, going to the comments, Steve said, as bad as Liverpool uh, are right now, it's worth remembering that the point spread between Liverpool and City right now is only one point fewer than Liverpool and City at the end of last season. So while we're in sixth, I will take solace in knowing that things change quick. Nikhil adds, not to dwell on self-pity, but we also have literally half our first-team squad out injured and very out-of-form striker this season. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. That's true. But unfortunately, that's something that does occur to some teams over the courses of some seasons. And yes, it does ruin momentum. It ruins, I believe, the experience for a fan. It really hurts because you like to see your team at full strength, obviously. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it a lot. It's something that's killing Liverpool a bit. Can they still get top four? Obviously. 
They're only five points out, 13 match weeks left, but are the chances dwindling? Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think the reason for that isn't because of a lack of talent, a lack of ability. It's the lack of maybe talent available. You know, you look at their injury list and it's, that would make a hell of a team with the guys that are out. So you look at that side of it. You look at the Everton side of things, I think a great result. Does that convince me they can get in the top four? I'm not sure because of the teams that are ahead of them. And so maybe I'm reversing the footy corner curse by saying I don't think they have a shot at top four. Uh, do they play exciting stuff? Sure. Are, are they going to have a shot at Europa? Absolutely. But again, I don't think they're a top four team. Um, big win for them, obviously, but they're not a top four team. Some some big news for them, though, I will say. Good news did come out of this. Uh, you know, a lot of talk. Every time these two teams play, they show that little picture uh, about how close the stadiums are together. Well, Everton is planning for a 52,000-seat uh, stadium that has been approved by city councilor. It is the Bramley Moor dock site that would be a, quote, world-class addition to the city's waterfront. And there are hopes to host games there in 2024. It is a 500 million pound scheme, and it's supposedly going to create 15,000 jobs uh, in Liverpool. So again, uh, you know, there are plans for a series of community-led developments at Everton's Goodison Park site. That's been approved. So, you know, I'm looking at pictures, and it looks sweet. Just imagine a stadium on a dock, essentially. Uh, and we'll see if um, we can get that posted. The intern has been fired, so we have a new intern in the works here. And we will see uh, if they can post this. It's a beautiful image, actually. So if, they, if, if Everton does get that stadium... You'll have a lot of pretty sick, uh, I think, images of what occurs there. So again, that's my take on the Merseyside teams, uh, specifically Liverpool, Everton. Will they? Will either of them get top four? I don't think so. I actually still think Liverpool has the better chance. Um, but again, I think these teams are one of them just struggling. The other, I'm not sure if they have the horses to get over. Let's see if they prove me wrong. Moving on, I want to talk about some teams in London. Uh, you know, the the Kings of London, West Ham United. Unbelievable. They have the most points out of all London teams. They sit in fourth place at 45 points after a 2-1 victory against a full-strength Tottenham Hotspur. By full-strength, I mean they had Harry Kane. They had Hengmin Son. They had their players, for the most part, that contribute to their big form, their wins. And uh, West Ham took it to them. Antonio and Lingard continue their great form. They both score within the first five minutes of each half. Lucas, the 37-year-old Sam Cassell. I, I mean, I'm only saying it, I guess, because he's bald and, and old. But uh, just an old, a bald old man scoring for Tottenham. Uh, but it wasn't enough. And Tottenham really did pour it on at the end. I'll give them credit there. They didn't. They didn't die. They didn't give in. But they do have a really big problem, in my opinion. And that big problem is their center-back pairing. You look at their center-back pairing, it's Davinson Sanchez and Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer has drifted between that position and uh, you know, a defensive mid. And Davinson Sanchez, to be honest, the past two weeks has looked like a Wheatland Association, AYSO, YMCA, whatever you want to call the bushiest league that you know. I mean, that's just what it is. What has Toby Alderweireld done? Does he have, has he, has he done something to Jose Mourinho that we don't know about? I mean, I know 
he might not be in the greatest of form these days, but surely he's better than Davinson Sanchez. You know, Eric Dyer going through a tough stretch, but I feel like a lot of times his hands were up because Davinson Sanchez was just out of position, especially on the Lingard goal. He was on the other side of the planet. So I think that experiment needs to end for them because their, their quote-unquote stout defense, it's falling apart. You know, Tottenham, they had a clean sheet against Wolfsburger AC. I mean, I think I would have a clean sheet against Wolfsburger AC by myself. If you dated back, their, their last clean sheet in Premier League action is February 7th, which, yes, I know that wasn't that long ago, but you go before that. When was their other previous clean sheet in the, in the Premier League? Oof. You have to go all the way back to when they played Leeds on January 2nd. So that great defense we talk about with Jose Mourinho, it's not there anymore. And when you're not scoring goals under Jose Mourinho's system, that's when things fall apart. Tottenham are, in their last six games, they've won one and lost five. They haven't drawn any of them. They've lost five. They, their only win was 2-0 against West Brom, who's maybe the worst team in the league. So it's very important to look at, I think, Tottenham as a, a team that's struggling, falling apart. And I think this is, you know, the, the moment you know they're really falling apart is when Jose Mourinho starts acting like a crazy man in the media. Jose Mourinho, I mean, great manager, brilliant guy here and there, but I don't know, the last few years, it seems like he's falling apart at the wrong times and he, and he starts getting really full of himself. He doubles down on himself, seemingly, when when things are going awry. And what do I mean? Well, if you heard his comments in the media, uh, he delivered quite a bullish defense of his coaching methods after they lost to that, you know, that game against West, West uh, Ham. Again, they fought back in the second half, fell short. They did hit the, hit the post twice. So, I, I mean, I guess you can say, oh, that's something. Um, but in 50 league games in charge of Tottenham, Jose Mourinho has secured 81 points. This is his lowest total at this stage of any of his managerial stops. At Porto, he had 124 at this point. In his first time at Chelsea, 126. Inter, 113. Real Madrid, 123. Second spell, Chelsea, 114. This all after 50 games. Man United, 95. And now with Spurs, 81. And it seems like... He's just getting worse and worse. And I think it's because his style of play is out of date. But Jose Mourinho was asked if their recent run of form prompted him to doubt his philosophy. Guess what he said? Nope, not at all. Zero, Mourinho said. Sometimes results are a consequence of multiple situations in football. Mine and my coaching staff's methods are second to nobody in the world. Jose Mourinho just said that his management is the best in the world. I don't know. To me, that just sounds like a manager that whose career is dying and should probably go to punditry. That's, that, I mean, that's really simply put, said and put, in my opinion. That said, I want to focus a little on West Ham. Great W for them. They're really, really kicking into high gear. I think David Moyes should be up there for manager of the season. I mean, this is a team we really need to talk about. Again, I said they're the highest, uh, have the most points in London. Rice and Suchek have supported that back line so well that it allows those front players that are fast. They, I mean, you know West Ham has just a plethora of wingers on their roster that are quick, that if they can get on the break, they can hit anyone. And we saw in this match, even if, you know, we saw Lingard take advantage of it. He's really excelled in, under Moyes. 
But you look at their bench even, Ben Rama, who came on later in the match, quick player who can who can catch you on the break. Lanzini, quick player that can catch you on the break. Yarmolenko, he's hurt right now, but he can catch you on the break. Uh, Fornals, Antonio Lingard, they, they got the job done here. And uh, Gerard Bowen can do the job as well. I mean, this is a team, you know, you look at it back to front. Man, they've taken care of business. Issa Diop has been great in the center back position. And I mentioned this kind of coming up here in the interview. So, again, great stuff from West Ham. Actually, what I'll do in hopes that I haven't cursed them is let's take it to our guests. Uh, to, you know, this week with us, we had a West Ham fan, also Chicago Fire fan, Phil Bridges, to let us know a little bit more about West Ham United. Off to you, Phil. And on today's show, we have a really special recurring guest. He's been on before, uh, Chicago Fire and West Ham fan, Phil Bridges. Phil, how's everything going over there? Oh, everything's going all right. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. And trying to uh, get through, you know, obviously the the pandemic stuff. We all have some of our circumstances we deal with at, at work here and there. I've heard a lot of the stuff you have to deal with and and I sit there, I'm like, oh man, I, I have I have some some days, but I've heard, you know, lately some of the things that go on over there too. And I, you know, it's important to realize everyone goes through a lot, of, is going through a lot of crazy things right now. Um, but we look to kind of these distractions, these sports as hopefully an outlet. And, and I'm hoping, you know, you're doing the same over there with your, uh, with your hammers. Yeah. And I'm enjoying every bit of it. It, it feels good. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, I will say, so let's start with just this past match. Uh, you guys were, you know, coming off a two-one win over rivals Tottenham, and uh, I, I've actually been to a, a West Ham Tottenham match when I went. Uh, I went to England like seven, eight years ago. It was about seven years ago, um, and I was, of course, rooting for West Ham as an Arsenal fan, you know, uh, against Tottenham. And you guys actually did win that one, also two-one. Um, but I feel like that one you you didn't expect as much coming out of it going into this match. Were you kind of expecting a win the way things have been going this season? Uh, I would argue we the expectations were much higher going into this game. Uh, we just, I just, I personally felt that we had a lot of momentum going in our direction, and I felt like this was uh, a Spurs team that was right for the taking. And uh, ultimately, we went ahead and. He did the job. He did the job, and Moyes has this team going places I didn't think they would go with Moyes. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. You guys are having an excellent season, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's the best since you followed them? Uh, as of right now, at the rate they're going, yeah, this is the best season. I remember the 15-16 squad also. Mm-hmm. Um that was a pretty great side uh, when uh, Payette first splashed onto the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think you guys were top four. You guys beat us in the opener that season. I think you were top four until uh, December, right? Yes. Uh, Lee Foxford was looking like the next uh, wonder kid. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was what we thought Declan – he's what we thought – no, um, he was the Declan Rice before Declan Rice. I should say that. 
Yes, that's very true. That is very true that you're, you're spot on. I do remember that actually at the time and Declan Rice is doing a fantastic job this year, but just before we get into him, uh, you know, some of the seasons that you go into it, not expecting so much could turn out to be some of those, some of the special seasons. And actually as both of us being uh, Chicago fans, we're seeing that I'll try to relate it to like the bulls. I think this year kind of a little more exciting than we thought they'd be. Um, anyone that's, that's following the Blackhawks, same thing, you know, some Chicago teams are doing the same. So this, I've, I've noticed that as a fan of those teams, some of those seasons tend to, when it turns from no expectations to, Hey, we're putting something together tend to be the best. I know West Ham, there were some preseason rumors, right. That there was some rift between the, the team. So kind of coming into the season, when you were hearing that stuff, uh, what were your original expectations? Oh, no, they- it was no rumor. It was a rift, um, <laughs> but that was mainly between the squad, the managers, and ownership. Uh, and that was mainly around selling Grady D in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Uh, the club said they didn't have the money to go out and get players, and that we would have to sell players. And you know, we weren't trying to sell our young players. Mm-hmm. And then they go and sell Diangana for a lot less than what he was worth to West Brom, a team we thought was going to be a relegation rival. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the time, you had a lot of West Ham players come out and say, you know, no, this wasn't, this is not what we wanted. This is unacceptable. This is ridiculous. And so going into the season, as a West Ham fan, you just weren't feeling good. Uh, it was just an uneasy feeling. You were kind of glad the team was uniting against the ownership, but at the same time, there was a season to focus on, and you know it was just a very uneasy beginning to a season. And then we have the result against Newcastle, and it was just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this might be one too far for boys to get us out of mm-hmm. yeah no it's been it, it is incredible and you i actually do remember when you said that there were two camps kind of discussing about you know hey we got to get get back to things and one camp was mad about the sale and I actually i remember being baffled as well because uh, you know he's a player that's come out he came out on fire too with west uh with west brom uh but you know, I'll put my hands up. I, I I actually thought the same thing. I thought they'd be battling for relegation. I think we mentioned it in our uh, in our preseason show, and you know, I kind of I'll I'll admit uh, they've shocked me big time. Though they've come together real well. A lot of players having solid seasons, great seasons. Uh, looking, you know, I'm looking specifically. I'll do the easy part here, and I'll give you the hard part. You know, I'm specifically looking at uh, Issa Diop in the back has been fantastic. Um, I think outside Cresswell and Kufal have been great. You have that engine room of Suchek and Rice, uh, and also all the all the wingers and players up front. Antonio has been great when he's been available. So all these guys are having kind of great seasons. They're coming together well. I'm going to ask you the hard part here. If there's one player, name one, just only one, if injured or out for an extended spell can lead to big issues for this team. If one, oh. <clears throat> That's tough. <laughs> Okay. All right. I will say right now it's Mikel Antonio, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I say that because he's the only player who can honestly operate as a forward mm-hmm. in this side. We don't have any forward. 
Yes. Uh, we have an academy player, but he's very, he's raw talent. We're not sure what we're getting of him. Not a lot of experience. And we, we didn't really do a good job of recruiting forward uh, mm-hmm. for this upcoming season. So uh, when he has not been on the field, West Ham has struggled creating going forward. Mm-hmm. So we, he's pretty much, he's not the best player, but he's the most important player to the mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a very good identification there because people sometimes mistake your most valuable players for your best player. And, and especially I think in a game like this in soccer, you have to realize that, okay, if my, if this guy goes down, does he have backup that's as capable or close to the capability? And, and I, and I like how you mentioned that because there are some other guys that are having great seasons, but you do have solid backups. There was in the striker that kind of leads me to my next question. You guys sold Seb Aller to uh, Ajax. It obviously wasn't working out with him at West Ham. Unfortunately, you know, they tried to give him his chances um, he had a couple flashes of brilliance, a uh, few really highlight real goals. Didn't work out, goes to Ajax. No forwards come in or up front strikers, as you mentioned. You guys have a plethora of wingers. Um, if Antonio is out or injured, because there have been rumors, and I'm, you know, I'm hoping they're false because I like to see full-strength teams, but I'm hearing rumors of fatigue or muscular issues that might be hampering him, that he might not be able to play every game uh, or every match. Uh, if that's the case, is there, who would you try to put up there? Like I said, you have a plethora of wingers. You know, I, I saw Gerard Bowen was up there recently. Um, who, who would you put up there if you were David Moyes uh, in, in Antonio's absence? It, it, exactly who you said. It would be Bowen. He's the only logical option at this point to put up front. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if it wasn't going to be Antonio, it was going to be Jan Lanko. Like that was going to be the backup. He goes out injured against United in the, in the cup. Mm-hmm. And so then it leaves us with no real, no true forwards going, um, pardon the pun going forward. <laughs> uh, yeah, true. So it's really Bowen at this point. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just really wish. See, the issue I have with selling Halaire is that I would only have been okay with it had you made sure to cover yourself before you make the sell. Absolutely. And that's kind of been the issue with ownership. They don't do enough to protect the squad depth. You know, they just they're just trying to flip a profit real quick, and it's not really a profit. Mm-hmm. If we're being honest, because we were barely paying, we were barely able to pay off Hilaire's, uh transfer fee as it was going. So, mm-hmm. really, that was just we broke even with that. We're breaking even with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. That is true. You make a good good point there on that, and and a lot of fans are upset about that ownership. And you guys are doing a lot of this. They'll say, despite that ownership. Um, before we go into kind of predicting where West Ham may finish, uh, you know, looking at David Moyes, so, we, you know, there's a lot of thoughts on him going into the season and, and perceptions may have changed over the course of the season. How do you feel about having David Moyes as the manager going forward? I kind of slipped this one in because I'm very interested to hear West Ham fan perspective on that one. Uh, I'm a lot more happier about Moyes this time around because mm-hmm. it feels like he's 
finally gotten back to that Everton Moyes that was the Everton Moyes that got the uh, Manchester United job right before United ruined him pretty much. And then he goes on this odyssey trying to find his way back, comes to West Ham the first time, really wasn't liked. And a lot of people saw him as super defensive, super uh, boring, but he got the job done. And that's all you can ask. Mm -hmm. Second time around, after Pellegrini, he comes back. No one really wanted him back, uh, mainly because he wanted an 18-month contract, and he didn't want to commit to him for that long. But credit to him, he's come in with a plan. He's come in determined. He's come in with a purpose, and he's done a fantastic job with a squad that if we're being honest, they shouldn't be to be in a Champions League spot. That goes beyond what anyone could have imagined for West Ham this season. Absolutely, for sure, and I and I agree with you on the uh, on the bringing back the old Everton form. I mean, to the point where I feel like he should be up there for Manager of the of the Year uh, easily with with what he's done. As you say, he's done a great job there. Now you mentioned it. West Ham sit in a Champions League spot. They are the they are the current kings of London. They are the best team point wise. You know we're talking over Chelsea, over Tottenham, over Arsenal. All these teams right now. If you were to ask on match week twenty five through the books, West Ham sits there top. You know must be great feeling. And I'll say this too. Uh, I I slip in when teams are playing well because we you know we'll talk a lot about top six teams. A lot of podcasts. A lot of outlets will do that. Um, but I try to talk about some of the teams that are up and coming. And I found a bad thing that's occurred that when I start mentioning a team, the next week they start falling apart and things go poorly. Uh, I was a little nervous doing that last week with West Ham on the show. And so I said, okay, they're heading into a match against Tottenham, but we have to recognize they're having a great season. They still won the match. So they've overcome the footy corner curse. But I have to ask you, (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask you. And and so I'm hoping that curse is gone. I, I really enjoy seeing them do well. I have to ask you, where do you think they will finish uh, at the end of this season when it's all said and done here in 13 more match weeks? Uh, here's the thing. Uh, I want them to finish in top four. I mm-hmm. believe they could finish top four, but realistically with the lack of depth, uh, depth at the striker position, uh, I have them finishing fifth. Okay. I have them finishing fifth because – I don't see Liverpool being able to get over their issues uh, in the defense. I just feel like it's a lot going on for them. Uh, With Henderson now going out, it's going to be even more of a problem. He was their leader. He's their captain. We don't know how long he'll be out, but, um, you know, it's just a matter of seeing whether or not he's going to be able, they're going to be able to, uh, move forward without all the injury with all the injuries that they have. Um, Everton just hit too inconsistent. You don't know which Everton you're going to get week in and week out. That's kind of always been their problem. You saw they started out really hot towards the top of the Premier League, and then they kind of drop off. It's classic Everton almost. They're the main team that gets cursed by us. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, you know what? That may be it. That may be it. Maybe <laughs> winning the Murphy Five broke the footy corner. 
For sure. Maybe it broke that one too. <laughs> Every time I say good things about them, they start going on three game losing streaks. So that's the main team. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, you make good points and I think that's a very, you know, solid prediction. We'll see. They, I mean, they've played well. It's, it's funny because, you know, they actually, I think have even played well from a couple weeks in, you know, people haven't seen it. They've been consistent throughout. Um, you know, I just, I'm going to throw this in there out of curiosity. If you don't mind me asking, you have them at five, who would you pick as your top four? Uh, it's going to be city United Leicester and uh, it'll be, ultimately Chelsea who slips into the top four. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Sorry. Just so much attacking talent, so much depth in the attack. Uh, they're pretty solid at the back. Uh, as long as they don't get any injuries, they should be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Thomas Tuchel has done a good job of, of uh, figuring that out. We were a little, I was a little skeptical. I like giving managers chances. He came in and he's, uh, he's really run it with them there. Uh, you know, so yeah, very excited to see what happens with West Ham this season. Uh, before we let you go today, Phil, just any, any other comments you'd like to make things you'd like to let people know about, you know, just about, um, you know, West Ham or anything in general. Um, uh, I would honestly say, um, it is a crazy time in, uh, in soccer. I've enjoyed the Champions League coming back. Yeah, I've missed it for so long, even though it's, it's not been that long, but it feels like forever, like everything in this pandemic. That's true. Um, but uh, I'm really just you know, oh, happy to be able to have that, to have sports back in general and be able to have that released from everything that's going on. And it kind of makes me more and more grateful to the players and the athletes uh, that, you know, do what they do. And so that's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's it, to be honest. Yeah, I think you make a good point. People overlook that, you know, obviously we all are going through things and they are, you know, going through extensive testing, as you mentioned, and they're tr- they're doing what they can to bring kind of joy to people's lives during these times. So you make a really good point that I think people overlook. Um, I agree with you. They're very excited for Champions League. I'll say this too. I'm very excited um, for us all to get together again to watch the fire. Uh, you know, obviously people on the podcast know there's a pro fire uh, group here, and, and a lot of the a lot of the people I bring on are my friends from the fire. And uh, hopefully, again, we'll we'll get to hang out soon. Uh, at Soldier Field for the first time, which was supposed to happen last season. Um, are you, I guess I'll kind of throw this in there too. I was hearing rumors. I don't know if you've heard that they may open up some, uh, since it's an outdoor venue, may open up some seating. Are you pretty excited for the potential that at some point, maybe not early, but at some point of this MLS season where we can see our fire? Yeah, at some point, maybe further down the line, mm-hmm. maybe we going back and, um, uh, watching uh, matches, but you know, I, it's going to be touch and go for me in terms of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, for sure. I agree. I think it's one of those things that you don't, don't know exactly when the right or good time is. Um, hopefully they, they, you don't get the vaccine speeded up. And I think even then there's going to be still some sort of a, um, you know, a nervousness, you know, 
obviously still wearing masks. Um, it, you know, it's really wondering when the right time will be for that. But uh, very, very happy to have you on. Feel excited. I will say I need to have you on to talk more, just maybe even as a co-host one day for the whole show, uh, because you have such a great knowledge of the game and you know exactly kind of what's going on across the league. So I think that would be something the the listeners would uh, would love to hear. So hopefully we could have you on sometime then. Uh, again, pleasure having you on. Thanks for coming on, Phil. Appreciate everything and uh, hope you stay well. All right. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Again, big thanks to Phil for coming on spending his time telling us about West Ham. Top, top lad. Uh, again, you know, it's it's always good to have the voice of someone come on and talk about a team that's not what we'd call in that traditional big six, get the, get the uh, perspective there, and also learn a lot about a team that I think this, this podcast and others need to be talking about this season. It's a team that's done great. Uh, so again, uh, thanks to Phil, uh, who can be found on Twitter. I don't think uh, I... I said it. He's at Big Phil underscore Steve uh, on Twitter. So again, thank you, Phil Bridges, for that. So let's get back to the action. Uh, Arsenal nil, Man City one at the Emirates, and for the second time this season, City beats Arsenal one nothing, and the goal came right off the bat. I mean, I was <laughs> I was putting the game because it was on that stupid Peacock channel, which first of all is the I mean I I'm so I, I want to know how people feel about Peacock at the footy corner. Two, I wouldn't mind it. I don't mind paying for it. And I wouldn't mind it if these smart TVs had apps to show it. I have a Samsung, but they don't have the Peacock app. So I'm always trying to get it on my laptop, and I'm trying to get it to project on the TV. And I'll be honest with you, I was pissed it wasn't working right away, and I got even more pissed because the goal happened before I could project the match on the TV. And I've been really excited with how Arsenal has played. And, you know, to give you an idea of how disappointing that beginning was, you know, just imagine, I I don't know, I I don't know what to compare the disappointment to. Imagine just being so excited about something because, you know, the way Arsenal's played, I just wanted to see how they'd measure up against City. So I got super excited about it. And within two minutes, that excitement was all gone. I mean, it just turned into like, oh, this sinking feeling. Like like I said, I don't really know what to compare it to. So I'm just going to throw... A wild scenario out there. Just imagine you're out one night in the town and you're out to do a madness, lads. You know what's up. You're, you're out trying to find, a, you know, think back to our young days, trying to find a bird. And imagine, you know, you you found one, you know. So that's, that's Arsenal starting to play better. And you're like, okay, you've scoped it out. Success. They are going to come back with you. Okay, and, and so, as you know, on the Arsenal end of it, we're winning matches. Here comes our big match with City. You're bringing the, the girl home, and you're about to do the madness. And as you, you know, so the match is starting as you are, you know, for the Arsenal match, that's, that's on one end of it. And on your end of it, the pants are coming off, lads. And then, all of a sudden, is that all you're working with, is what you hear? That was the equivalent, not that I would know, not that I would know, but I would imagine that is the equivalent of what I just experienced with Raheem Sterling scoring in the second minute. I mean, like, ooh. you get all excited. It's like, pew. So, again, it was a great cross from Mahrez, a great start. City looked great for the first 20 minutes. I mean, that's to be expected. Arsenal really grew into the game into ha- going into halftime. Even in the last 10 minutes, I think it looked like they'd equalize. And coming out of halftime, I wouldn't doubt a lot of people thought they had a goal in them. Unfortunately, again, 
in the second, it was pretty much shut down. It, it became a training exercise, and that's not because Arsenal lacked an effort. I think that's really down to Diaz. Diaz and Stones. I mean, we've started giving them credit a lot on the show, but it's clear they put an end to anything that was about to start. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, yes, has had his struggles this season, had a chance to go in on Stones and, and got stonewalled, pun intended. And I think everything got shut down by the City players in the second, and it was, to the neutrals, probably a very boring second half. And, and everyone comes out of the match you know, I don't know how to feel as an Arsenal fan because everyone said, you know, not a bad effort. You didn't get blown out of the water. But again, it was a team that I felt in the last 20 minutes didn't even have bite, didn't look like they were going to attack. Again, they're a long way off City. And it's important to look match by match and th- say, okay, hey, this is this is not, you know, the stick would be just keep it close, have a few chances. So those kinds of matches are always difficult for Arsenal fans because you don't see that, you know, the bite isn't there, the chances aren't there. I think that's just because City's defense is so good. They're miles above everyone this year. We all know that. See, there you go, Jeff. Admit it. Um, so I think that, you know, Arsenal's tests are coming up. They have a lot of good matches here, and I think this is where we could see if they've made that jump. City's going to run away with the league. Uh, they look good in Champions League, beat Borussia Mönchengladbach 2-0. Both these teams had good European conquests afterwards. City are well on their way, easily to finishing out, I believe, uh, Mönchengladbach. And Arsenal with the amazing comeback today against Benfica. So both teams look like they will be advancing. Uh, again, City's isn't done and dusted, but I'd be shocked if they did not advance. So again, not you know, not much else there. Let's move on. Southampton won. Chelsea won a very disappointing result I believe, for Chelsea, in my opinion. Chelsea had five clean sheets in their previous six entering the match. And, you know, at the beginning, it was just chance after chance. Chelsea was just coming full steam ahead. They would either just miss the net or, you know, McCarthy made a couple big saves just off his fingertips. So I think we got to give him a little credit there. That said, again, though, I think Chelsea could have finished some chances. And by doing that, you know, they kind of paid for it in the end by not coming away with a, a victory. Obviously, big victory against Atletico Madrid, but but I'm mainly talking about this Premier League match. So I, I do want to say this. This is what I've really noticed about Chelsea. We, we talked about it on the show a bit, but it was very prevalent in this match. Marco Alonso and Reese James pushing up and are essentially extra wingers, allowing Werner and Mount to tuck in and create opportunities, and I think that's what happened. Mason Mount eventually scoring goal. It was on a pen, but the chance he created was because he pinched in. Alonso had a shot that barely missed the net. Reese James had a shot that was dangerous. So Tuchel has found something. By using his wing backs. it has really allowed Chelsea to get going, but again, they ruined those missed chances. They gave up the goal in the 33rd minute, and I want to kind of call Zuma out there. I don't know if you saw Zuma you know, loses track of where he is, kind of gets beat on that. And then he sort of started walking back. If you look at the replay, as soon as Minamino, I will say Minamino made a great run getting behind them. But after Zuma lost him, he just kind of walks back. I don't know if he was assuming that uh, Mendy was going to get a hand on it or his other defenders would cover him. It was really weird from Kurt Zuma, to be completely honest with you. Uh, Again, great run by Minamino, great find by Nathan Redmond, who I, I thought he retired five years ago. I'm going to be honest with you. I did not know Nathan Redmond 
Still playing the Premier League. That man has, speaking of old people, Lucas Mora, that guy's got to be up there, right? So anyway, Nathan Redmond making the great pass. Southampton didn't really threaten much more after that. They did hit the bar in the 70th minute on a header. But again, they were not really threatening. And Chelsea finally got their goal in the 54th minute on a pen. Uh, And so it was Mount against Ings. And my question is, what's Danny Ings doing defending so deep in the box? I mean, I get it. You do want your forward to track back. You do want, and in Ralph Hasenhutl's system, you have forwards playing defense. But why is your forward, your number nine, defending a player in the box that's going in on goal? And it wasn't like a corner had just occurred. I, you know, again, great track back, good work. But why isn't a defender doing that defense? So again, I thought that was a uh, it was very interesting. It was just odd to me to kind of see that, and and I thought to myself, well. Uh, if that's what Hasenhutl's system is, it is what it is. Speaking of uh, Minamino's goal, Steve says, and with that goal, Takumi Minamino is doing more to keep Liverpool in the top four than he did at Liverpool. Um, he is also the first opposition player to score against Chelsea under Tuchel because the other one was an own goal. So <laughs> big facts there. Again, I thought Chelsea really should have won this match. Uh, they now fall two points behind fourth place West Ham. Not the end of the world, not the worst thing. But again, there are those those are two points that if they miss out at the end of the season, you're going to look back at this and say they should have won this match. They really should have. The other story in this match was Callum Hudson-Odoi coming on at halftime and then being subbed off in the 76th minute. Tuchel saying, hey, I didn't like how he was pressing. Now on, the, on one side of it, you could say, hey, there he is setting an example, letting his boys know you can't play like that and expect to stay in. I'm going to be watching you. But on the other end, when you embarrass a player to that level, I know it's a young player, but you run the risk of losing them, meaning that, that you know, they kind of, they're like, you know what? Screw this coach. You know, fuck this guy. He, he subbed me off after subbing me on 30 minutes. He embarrassed the hell out of me. He couldn't wait 14 minutes after the match to just talk to me about it. Well, hey, that's, that's his expectation. It is what it is. But again, you run the risk. And with such a young player... I think he handled it pretty well, Callum Hudson Adoy, and I think he's been great under Tuchel. So he'll he'll learn. It's an experience. Uh, but again, an interesting note there. Chelsea coming away with the draw. Southampton did lose again later in the week, uh, three nothing to Leeds. Bamford, Dallas, and Rafinha scoring there. Southampton is a disaster. You'd imagine that Ralph Hasenhutl is on the hot seat, about ready to go. Villa one, Leicester two. Leicester, man, they keep it going. You got to watch these guys. They are so entertaining. Uh, goals from Madison and Barnes within the first 25 minutes had them up 2-0. That included a play in there that uh, Emiliano Martinez, Emmy Martinez, had to make a great save for Villa to keep it out from being... At that point, it would have been 2-0. Then if Barnes had scored, it would have been 3-0. It was like right in between the two goals that were scored. And my goodness. I mean, if you haven't watched the Foxes, you are missing out. I know today they had a huge disappointment against Slavia Prague, but all the more reason for them to make noise in the league because they don't have a side competition to worry about anymore. You know, you look at the guys, we've talked a lot about Ndidi and Tielemans in the engine room. I think, you know, we everyone knows a lot about them, but Barnes, Madison, and Pereira, who's moved up from a defensive position to the midfield behind Jamie Vardy, caused a lot of issues. Holy crap, those three were great. They were connecting well. 
And so I thought that was incredible to see from Leicester City, and I think they're must-watch soccer. So again, they have, a, they have a match coming up against Arsenal, so a lot of eyes will be on them. But it's important, I think, to watch them every week and that I don't think they're going away. I do believe at the moment in time they are the second-best team in the Premier League. The table says they're third because of goal difference. But to me, they're the second-best team in the Premier League. So you got to look out for the Foxes, in my opinion. On the other end of it, uh, <laughs> let's look at Aston Villa. Where do we start? Where do we start with Aston Villa? I mean, they didn't play awful. And I thought Ross Barkley did as well as he could under the conditions. Now, we do have to understand, mainly, you know, looking at it, bottom, bottom, line, bottom line is they didn't have Jack Grealish. So I'll talk about that story in a minute. But Steve mentions that under Dean Smith, Aston Villa has averaged 1.5 points per game in league competition when Jack Grealish has featured compared to 0.9 points per game without him, losing all three Premier League matches without him since the start of last season. So they were doomed without him from the get-go. And it kind of showed, I mean, again, I'll give him credit, good fight. Ross Barkley filled in decently. Um, They pushed for an equalizer at the end, but I feel like that's what always happens. Team that's down one is going to push. Team that's up one is going to kind of pack it in. Uh, Villa got close with the Mings header late, didn't work out, didn't go in. Hey, you know, it happens. It is what it is. Now, let's get to the fun part. And <laughs> for those that play Fantasy Premier League, uh, I think we had kind of some of the craziest stuff occur up in this kind of situation. Now, what had occurred was that news had leaked, apparently, the night before the match that Jack Grealish would not be playing. There was no indication all week that he would not be playing. Actually, I was shocked when the lineup came out because I didn't follow this particular account that leaked the information that Jack Grealish wasn't playing, and Dean Smith was not happy about it. Why? What what happened is that uh, Dean Smith said that the club will reprimand the source of a potential leak after the news of Jack Grealish's injury emerged on social media 24 hours before the loss to Leicester. He ended up missing the match due to a minor leg issue. Um, and, and Smith did confirm. He said, oh, he just had some discomfort in training during the week. And Brendan Rodgers had prepared his side to face Grealish, but then heard about the doubt the day before the game. So he had time to change his strategy. Uh, Smith does tell us it's no recurrence of an injury. It won't be long-term. But again, he was upset um, and that he did see there were rumors on social media that he wouldn't play. He was upset that it leaked to allow Brendan Rodgers to change his strategy, to figure it out. And he said, if it's coming out of our training ground, then I will find out where it's coming from and reprimand where it's coming from. It's something I wouldn't be happy with and we'll get to the bottom of it. El Ghazi, of course, replacing Jack Grealish. So that kind of played out. And everyone in the media and the news kind of said, ooh, Who's the leak? How did it get out? What is going on in this case? Well, then there became another article or news piece came out that said just after it, not too long, that there's concern from Villa Park that Grealish's absence was leaked out by a fantasy football account. And, you know, a lot of people obviously play, millions of people play it. You know, you could sell, substitute players, and apparently... Prior to the match, a social media account called FPL Insider revealed players Matt Target, Connor Hurahan, and Neil Taylor all transferred Grealish out of their fantasy Premier League sides, as well as some members of staff. 
So after the defeat, the boss, Dean Smith, said the club would be investigating how news of Grealish's training ground injury leaked. Um, and again, he said he would reprimand it. He was wondering what occurred. How did someone know that these guys had taken him out? And on top of it, he banned players from playing in fantasy football. This incident, one guy missing a game, is causing a cancellation of fantasy football from a manager. And finally, this just came out recently. I want to give props to Jeff Paris. And we finally found out who the man was behind the injury leaks. And it was an Aston Villa fan in Norway, believe it or not. Um, He is behind a bot which tracks players and staff's fantasy football accounts. And it it results in real team news that's leaked. So, you know... Uh, Pep Guardiola has gone across calling it unethical. Uh, But this guy behind the bot says, sorry, I'm not sorry. He goes by the first name Henning, and he runs that account, FPL Insider. So if you want to follow it, it's at Insider underscore FPL. He runs it from Norway, has 25,000 followers. He offers tips to fantasy Premier League owners, and the way he does it is he set up an algorithm that would, you know, follow certain players, accounts of players, accounts of staff of certain teams and it's an automated computer program that scans those accounts and when an what he'd call an insider who would be a player a junior member a staff member when a insider removes one of their teammates from their fantasy lineup the bot picks it up and tweets it and he says that it's actually pretty easy you know at, at first it was manual and tedious but he spends he had to spend hours on google linkedin and football manager to find staff or even junior players but once he did that, it's actually a pretty easy algorithm. So uh, it's insane. I mean, it even announced which players had transferred Grealish out. Target, Hurahan, Neil Taylor, uh, Rob, who's a physio at Villa. I mean, it's incredible. I think it's genius. I think it's funny. So a really cool story, I think, to go around, especially to those of you that play fantasy. Uh, <laughs> neat stuff there. Let's jump back to the soccer. Man United 3, Newcastle 1. Rashford, James, and Bruno, the goal scorers for United. Alain Saint-Maximin, who's back, had a fantastic game for for Newcastle. But again, it's wasted. Uh, You know, looking at this game, there wasn't too much that went on. Rashford scoring near post. Darlow probably wants that back. Uh, The goalkeeper of of Newcastle probably wanting a near post goal back. You know, we've seen a few of those in the last couple weeks. Newcastle, who again, you know, with their jerseys looked like a bunch of traffic control people with their bright yellows. They didn't really create much. They, you know, to me, they look like they've looked the past few weeks. They look like garbage. Uh, but again, Alain Saint-Maximin coming back, you know, a little, little sparkle of hope. Again, this is a team that sits above the relegation zone, not by much, not by very much at all, actually. But if you're looking for something, because this is a team that's in the worst form out of all teams in the Premier League. They, uh, again, they're only three points out of Fulham. That huge gap that was double digits is down to three. But if you're looking for a glimmer of hope, it's Alain Saint-Maximin is back, and he's looking great. He he was the one that scored the goal. Beautiful strike. He almost scored a few minutes before that. And if you want to even look further and try to look to see, hey, Newcastle might have had some hopes. The, the penalty on Rashford, weak. Bruno had the penalty. The pen merchant scoring. I thought it was an awful call. Uh, Willock went in. I, I didn't think he touched him. If he did, sure, penalty. But I don't think he touched him. I think the guy throws himself down. 
It's another Bruno penalty goal. Uh, but I will say this. When he did step up, the only one that has saved him this season in a penalty is Darlo. Didn't stop him this time. Uh, I want to give credit to Steve, who pointed out on Twitter, and there's a video of it, Maguire trucking Lascales on the ball. The ball was kind of fluttering towards Dea and Net, and Maguire, who's just a big lug, kind of a nonce, he, he basically elbows Lascales, and because a lot of people's eyes weren't on it, and I'm sure the ref wasn't looking at it, it got looked over. We'll have the intern retweet it so people can look at it. And Steve did say, of course it's not called because it's United. So um, I agree with him there. I tend to agree with him there. And again, you know, United gets the win, but they didn't show anything special in my opinion, and that's why I'd rank Leicester above them. Uh, But again, we'll see. They've proven all of us wrong this season. And and of course, we can see in the coming weeks how they'll, they'll come out of it. I do think they will finish top four. I think now the gap is increasing. They're six points clear of, of fifth place. Uh, I don't know. I, I Last week was so adamant they wouldn't make it. But now looking at how these other teams are performing, and I'm not saying it's because of uh, United's performances. I think it's because of the other team's performances that they may they may stay top four. Let's see what happens. Uh, other action around the league. Wolves one leads nothing. Melier with an own goal in the 64th minute. A snooze fest as Burnley and West Brom draw 0-0. Not much going on there. I'm sorry if you wasted your time watching it. I sure did not. Fulham one. Sheffield United nil. Adamola Lookman driving the Cottagers back in to possible uh, 17th place. Again, as I said, they're only three points away from Newcastle, four points from Brighton. Fulham's in full swing, and they have 13 point, uh, matches to make those points up. And I have no doubt in my mind that they will. So let's see what happens there. Again, hot seat, Brighton and Newcastle, because Fulham's big streak going on here. Speaking of Brighton, they lost 2-1 to Crystal Palace. Uh, Mateta scoring his first goal for Crystal Palace, along with Benteke, who scored in the 95th minute. Uh, it was a it was a crazy game. It was a match that Brighton controlled the whole time. And Palace had two chances and scored them both. It's one of those you feel bad. Uh, Veltman scoring Brighton's only goal. Graham Potter left in shock as the final whistle blew. Leeds 3, Southampton 0. Again, we, t- we mentioned that one earlier. Bamford, Dallas, and Rafinha, not much else to talk about there. That was a makeup from week 18. So let's quickly go to some of the comments here. And as usual, Jeff is out looking for apologies. And this time he's looking for an apology from Brian Moore. So let's see if he delivers. Brian, he says, uh, I believe Brian owes Manchester City and their fans an apology. Manchester City have made the semifinals of Champions League. This poor, factually incorrect attempt at a burn also deserves a nonce of the week nomination for Brian, and he spelled it B-R-Y-A-N, and I think they went back and forth. I believe Brian called him G-E-O-F-F. Um, he won't be up for announce of the week, but Brian, do you apologize to Jeff? Uh, Steve wanted to mention our take on the Allison and Kabak error from last week uh, in their match against Leicester. Steve says, my take on Allison's error with Kabak. Reports say that Kabak couldn't hear Allison if he shouted. You're the keeper, and if you're moving forward to the ball, it's yours. You have to call it. That being said, no, you do not bench or rotate Allison. Not a chance. So, uh, you know, again, with with that, uh, Brian actually did share a, a cool kind of video that our intern will retweet. It was of Casper Schmeichel communicating with his teammates 
in the uh, Denmark-England match in the Nations League. Actually, it's really neat stuff. And with no fans, you could really, really hear the goalies. So I don't think there was any excuse on that communication error between uh, Allison and, and Kabak on that one. That was a, a bit of a disaster, and it's been a disastrous few weeks for Liverpool and their faithful, in my opinion. Uh, that being said, actually, I don't think I, I mentioned it earlier, uh, terrible news coming out just today out of Brazil. Um, Allison's father, uh, it is said, has uh, drowned at their holiday home, so uh, our condolences with uh, Allison. So maybe he will have to unfortunately get rotated you know i wouldn't be it's interesting to see what the rules are and hopefully he can he can go back uh you know klopp wasn't able to do it this team has been marred with a lot of tragedy this season a lot of injury so again uh, our condolences there and hopefully he can go back uh, to those services and and to, to his father's services uh but again we don't i don't know what the exact rules are of, of traveling outside england um so one last kind of thing I thought that was uh, mentioned recently uh, about the handball clarification rule. It, it, it has been announced that the Premier League will be looking at that in their next meeting on March 5th. So March 5th, which is coming up, I believe, next week. You know, I, I, look, at the, <laughs> I look at the calendar. It says February 25th, and you forget that February only has 28 days and so that March is really closer than it seems. Uh, but, yeah, they're, they're going to have a meeting. Uh, I'm trying to find – I had the article up here a minute ago to discuss the handball rule and to better understand how they're going to go about it. Uh, come back to that in a second. Now, I will say, speaking of hands, there is an initiative, apparently, to quote-unquote – Give the ref a hand. Um, this one is, to me, banana lands. Um, our, the ref support CEO, Martin Cassidy, I didn't know that existed, a ref support CEO, it wants all the clubs at grassroots level or higher to clap the referees out on our first weekend back and to just give them a hand to make football positive for everyone. So let's just, yeah, let's just clap for everyone at this point. Let's give them all participation trophies let's give these ref medals for nonsing about yes let's just clap for everyone i mean come on get out of here uh you know i i'm not i i do get it the job is difficult but at what point what why shouldn't i you know why can't i clap for the the mascots that run the pitch or the or the groundsmen that have been keeping these grounds going why do we have to clap these nancy refs who are who are I, you know i don't know again uh we'll see We'll see what happens. Um, you know, what happened to Mike Dean? That was bad. Uh, outside of that, though, I wouldn't clap for them. I, and it would be interesting. You know, the English are, are a very interesting set of people, and I wouldn't be shocked to hear them just boo instead, uh, you know, kind of in, a, in an interesting kind of a joust. Uh, well, that said, I am on to the handball laws. They're going to look at changing those laws because of the inconsistencies this season the ifab has uh, accepted referees interpretation of handball has not always been consistent and again they're going to consider this march 5th the ifab is the international football association board they're going to look at the uh the fouls and how they work and again uh they're, they've introduced some clarification to the law and under law 12 if you're wondering 
Wording was tightened to note that it is an off uh, is it an offense if a player scores in the opponent's goal directly from their hand arm, even if accidental, including by the goalkeeper. It's also an offense if a player touches the ball with their hand arm when the hand arm has been uh, made unnaturally bigger. But after talks, the panels they said that it's agreed that not every touch of a player's hand arm with the ball is an offense. So again, something they're going to look at. I think it's just a series of laws that that need to be looked at. But no one's going to be happy in the end. I mean, there's no way to make everyone happy. So let's be completely honest. That stuff is not going to get fixed overnight. It is what it is. Let's look now at the results from uh, last week's winners of Mount Rushmore. Uh, we finally had the Super Bowl Mount Rushmore up, and it was 50-50. Brian and I tied 50-50 on Mount Rushmore of Super Bowl moments. Mine were the uh, one yard short in Rams-Titans. Hester touchdown return to kick off the Bears-Colts. Vinatieri post-9-11 kick when the Patriots beat the Rams in 2002 and Malcolm Butler's INT when Seattle should have just handed the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. Brian's worthy helmet catch by David Tyree. The Philly special, which was around just a few years ago by Nick Foles. The wardrobe malfunction between Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson and the Holmes tiptoe winner for Pittsburgh winning over Arizona. Well, it was deemed by everyone that we were about equal 50-50 on that one. And uh, in terms of nonce of the week, the winner of Nonce of the Week was Marsh Middle School, winning 80% of the votes. Again, they were the ones that tasked sixth graders with an assignment of what they would do if a slave was diso- disobedient to them, which was absolutely bananas. Hector Paredes Robles gets 20%. Uh, he is the lawyer who had sex on Zoom during a hearing. Uh, and the Washington Post and IX get 0% of the votes. No one really thought they were Nancy. So now... With that said, it is time for this week's Nonce of the Week. You are a nonce, fella. You're a nonce, mate. Okay, and today we have, I think, some pretty good candidates. So we'll start out with the Tokyo Olympics chief, uh, Yoshiro Mori. He ended up actually having to announce his resignation after he made some uh, inappropriate comments or remarks about women, actually. Uh, And he realized that his inappropriate statement has quote-unquote caused a lot of chaos. Uh, You know, this was translated to English, obviously. He's not, you know, doesn't speak English. He said, I'll be resigning from my uh, president's position. Uh, And so what did he say is the question. Um, He did want to apologize, uh, and, you know, he took care of a lot of that over the air. He's 83, uh, but, you know... Recently, a group of female Japanese politicians wore white as a mark of protest against him. Um, He felt bad about what he said. But again, what he did say uh, was along the lines of, he said that women talk too much and are driven by a strong sense of rivalry. Um, So he was canceled pretty much off the bat. We move from him to something I think a little more egregious in my book. The FA, the FA, the English FA has uh, dropped referee Darren Drysdale. For those that listened last week, we talked about him. He's the League 2 match that... Uh, League 2 match. League 2 ref who was uh, refing, who was refing a match between, I believe, Ipswich and... Can't remember the other team, but Ipswich striker Alan Judge was mad about a penalty that wasn't called, started yapping, and the referee got in his face. They locked heads in what people called a moment of madness. So the 50-year-old referee, uh, Darren Drysdale, has actually been suspended from the next two matches for improper conduct. Uh, 
He's apologized, but again, you know, come on. The FA, I think, you know, sometimes a ref needs to kind of say, hey, listen, you need to calm down. You need to be put in your place. He didn't hit him. He didn't do anything. Uh, and a referee does have a tough job to do. So, again, I think uh, the FA Arnons is for suspending the guy. You know, I say let him, let him ref, and the next time someone wants to complain about a foul, he won't be fucked with. So that's what I'll put there. Now we go to two real big nonces. Uh, again, I think these two will be the, the top runners. We have Ted Cruz. We all know what Ted Cruz did. Uh, he, While Texas was in a state of emergency, the senator pretty much left to Cancun, uh, threw his kids under the bus, said, oh, I'm taking them for their vacation. Recently, uh, I think their group chat has leaked, and he has called the people that leaked it assholes. So he's a, you know he's an interesting character who, again, uh, decided that when his state was in a snowstorm emergency and it left millions of Texans with no power, heat, or water, he decided, you know what, now is a good time to take my vacation to Cancun and let these people fend off and figure it out. So he's one. And finally, <laughs> this last one, please, you know, you're going to see the name and you might not vote for it. So what I, what I implore that you would do is please watch the video between, it was a Guatemalan third division game, uh, and Batanecos FC player Rospin Ramos picks up an object which has been thrown on the pitch by the fans. He So while there's a ruckus kind of in, in a corner of the screen, again, you'll have to watch this video, he takes this object that was thrown on the pitch by fans and he hits himself in the face with it, and then he collapses on the floor, faking as if the object, I'm guessing, had been thrown at him. He's waving the object as he's rolling around on the floor. The match officials didn't see the incident, so they didn't give any punishment. But that was absolutely one of the wildest things I think I've ever seen as a guy hits himself in the face with an object and fake rolls around. Again, check that out. That is going to be retweeted by the intern. And that's my early candidate. That's my early nonce of the week. Rospin Ramos, a, a disgraceful kind of rolling around. Ted Cruz, a close second, in my opinion. Your other options are the FA for banning referee Darren Drysdale and the head of Tokyo's Olympic Games, Yoshiro Mori, uh, for his inappropriate remarks about women. So good candidates here for Mount Rushmore. Uh, or not Mount Rushmore, sorry, nonce of the week. Very interested to see what everyone picks. Now on to this week's match week predictions. We're going to go to the matches because, again, we're hitting a very congested fixture list. We're going to cover just match week 26. Yes, I'm aware that, you know, looking at the fixture list, these matches start on Saturday and they end on Sunday. Now, looking at it, uh, looking at the schedule, there is another set of matches. Or Sorry, these matches end Monday. My apologies. There's The Everton-Southampton game is on Monday. The next set start on Tuesday, so the hope is... We have another episode out on uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning. And then you have really what I'd call these makeup games from match week 29 that are getting pushed up, match week 33 getting pushed up uh, just because of how the schedule works. And then match week 27 will follow. So next week could potentially be a two-episode week, although I I would anticipate the Thursday episode being like a short solo episode on, on my end. Perhaps we'll throw in an interview. We'll see if we get someone in. Um, but I will have a co-host on uh, the earlier episode, that to be released later. So let's go to predictions for match week 26. Starts all on Saturday morning. Great match, in my opinion, between Man City and West Ham. It'll be a chance to see how West Ham fares against the top team in the league. 
I think City will take it at home 2-0. I got Kevin De Bruyne as my goal scorer. West Brom, Brighton, snooze fest, take a nap then, do your errands. West Brom nil, Brighton 1, Trossard, my goal scorer there. Leeds hosting Aston Villa should be an up-and-down game. I think Villa wins at 3-1, and I think Ollie Watkins gets on the score sheet there. Newcastle Wolves, I, I you know, Wolves to me, I, I just don't rate them. Uh, and we'll see if Newcastle's wearing those blinding uh, traffic uh, controller uniforms. Well, they're at home. They'll be wearing the Hamburglar uniforms. Uh, either way, I think they should get the draw 1-1. Alain Saint-Maximin, who's looked good, he's my goal scorer in this match. Palace hosts Fulham uh, in a London derby. I think Fulham's been on fire, and I think they're going to get the road win here. I think 2-1, and Brian Moore's boy, Maja, is going to be a goal scorer here. Leicester hosts Arsenal in you know a good test for the Gunners. Leicester sitting in third. I, as I said, I think they're the second best team in the league, but I can't I can't do it two weeks in a row picking against my boys. I have 1-1, and I think Jamie Vardy, who tends to always score against us, will score again. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong in this match prediction. I hope I'm wrong with who scores. It's possible. Tottenham hosts Burnley. I got Spurs 2, Burnley nil. Harry Kane, the goal scorer there. Even though Tottenham has struggled, they should win this one pretty easily. Chelsea and Man United should be a great match, a fun match. Sunday, 10.30 a.m. Central, 11.30 Eastern. Nikhil, I got you, 8.30 out in the West Coast. I got Chelsea 2, United nil. Timo Werner, my goal scorer. So, Brian, you can celebrate there with the less chance of having your Malort shot. Sheffield United hosts Liverpool in the late Sunday game. Granted, Liverpool struggled, struggled terribly. I just don't see them losing to Sheffield this time again. I got Liverpool 2, Sheffield nil. Mohamed Salah. And finally, Everton, Southampton. Southampton are garbage. They have not done well in the past eight weeks. I don't see it getting better. I got Everton 3 Southampton nil in that one. So again, don't forget to get your picks in at the footy corner too. And again, pick the matches through Monday, through March 1st. And then again, we'll have a kind of provisional picks for the next seven matches. And then we're back to normal match week. So again, just hang in there. This crazy schedule due to coronavirus. Uh, you know, again, pick your matches through Monday, and we will uh, we'll go from there. Let's see what happens. In terms of the updated scores, the new intern hopefully will update them, and we'll know them at the footy corner, too. Finally, let's go to the gambling corner. And as I said, the intern hasn't given us score or money updates. That should be out hopefully soon. Last week worked out pretty well for me with the fake money I played with. I did not put it in real matches. As I said, I've really struggled uh, to, or not struggled, I'd say hesitated to put money on these soccer matches because they're all over the place. I did today, I will admit, use an expiring free bet on Arsenal and they came through for me, but that is the that is the most I'll touch in a while in terms of soccer. Again, crazy season. But with the little fake money we have here on the footy corner, I've got Tottenham. They're at minus 186 versus Burnley, and City's at minus 420 against West Ham. Put a parlay on those two to win. $4 at minus 112 will win you 364. So there's where my first $4 are going. Now the remaining 10, I've got six left. I'll go with Chelsea plus 123 against United. $3 to win 339. And even though I picked draw on my predictions, I'm going to go Arsenal plus 188. It's good money. At Leicester, if they pull off the win, you will win 584 off your $3 investment. So those are my picks. Again, make your picks at the footy corner two. And uh, again, we'll be back hopefully with an episode early next week 
to cover the results of these matches and to get ready for the next ones. Uh, hopefully you enjoy the matches over the weekend, and I think that's really it for the Footy Corner today. I got nothing else. I usually would ask my co-host if they have anything to add, and that would be no one, so nothing to add there. And we move on to my former boy that I hated now, eh, Unai Emery. Good evening, Alexa. Please to play uh, my favorite song. Good evening, good evening. 